the descendants of Noah. This is the Tomorrow Christian today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm going to try to read and go through Genesis 10, trying to glean out of it some kind of some kind of knowledge from the Holy Spirit that you want us to have. Help me that my words may glorify you and may glorify and elevate anybody who's listening. I would like to be part of the church of Jesus, part of your church that brings up people, that does not destroy people. And um, help these words, Lord, from scriptures. This is part of Holy Scriptures. And I believe these words are true and I believe it's an accurate historical record. And I thank you for allowing me to have it. Thank you for giving us your holy word in the Bible. Many people have suffered to bring us the Bible. So we thank you, Lord, for it. It's an honor and a privilege to have it and to be able to read it. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, this is, um, it's chapter 10, Genesis. And it has 32 verses. I'm not going to read all of these because it's a lot of... It sounds like one of those chapters with a lot of begats. And so I'll just go through it. It says in verse 1, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. So I had said, well, that's interesting. They didn't have anybody with them when they went into the ark. I would never say, oh, they had a child with them because the, the Bible says eight people went into the ark. And I don't really want to try to say, well, the Bible says eight, but maybe it was really nine. Bible says eight. So I'll just go with a literal translation. Sometimes I wonder to myself, I'm trying to put myself there. Noah's preaching to all these people. They're like laughing at him and scorning him and mocking him. You know, he's he has like the Christian message. Come into the ark and be saved. There's only one way to salvation, the boat behind me, the ark. You know, sort of like the ark of the Israelites. They had the ark and inside there was God's uh, Ten Commandment law. And then the ark inside has, um, you know, salvation because it's going to keep you above the waters of death. And when I went to the ark in, you know, Ken Ham's ark that he's built, they have, there was a door there. And only the, only God could open the door. Only God could shut that door. And so that door represents Jesus. There's only one way into salvation, and that's Jesus. And and that's not really something people want to hear. That's a that's an offensive message um, to say Jesus is the only way to God. People people really don't want to hear that, you know. And um, but that's kind of what I remember. But I wonder sometimes if maybe he was preaching and some mother with a baby came up to him and said, "Hey, you know what?" I, I believe you, but my husband doesn't want me to to, to go to the ark. I, I'm sorry, I can't leave him. So could you take my kid? Could you just take my kid and just take him into the ark with you? And, you know, I'll just come back and, you know, just here, just take him. And, you know, I mean, I'm just making that up. But the Bible doesn't record that. So I'm not going to say it happened. That's just me speculating. In verse 2, it's the sons of uh, Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Javin, all these different people, Tubal, Mishik, and Tiras. It's a lot of names. I can't pronounce them all. But I did see the word Magog. Because in the end, in the Bible, in Revelation 20, Gog and Magog is sort of a name given to all the nations of the earth. And they're coming against, they're kind of swarming over the whole planet. So 
uh, they're all, you know, all the people are swarming uh, over the whole planet. It seems just the whole planet is teeming with people, kind of like like the waters of the sea, but they're about to fight God. And, you know, it, they're called Gog and Magog. So it's interesting, you, I see that name there, Magog. I guess if I were to search the Bible and see how many times Magog occurs, I know it's here now. I mean, I didn't really remember that. And I also remember it from Ezekiel 37, 38, or 39. It's, it's also in there somewhere. And then Revelation 20, because when you see that name Gog and Magog, that's a weird name. Like, why name them that? What What is that? And Gog, it's so close to God. God... G-O-D, and then Gog, G-O-G. So God is God. God lives. But Gog, G-O-G, dies. All the people of Gog and Magog die because they're fighting God. Gog is fighting God. Don't be fighting God. You will only lose, and you will lose badly. Then in verse 6, it says, The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. So I didn't realize this. Ham had a son named Egypt. I mean, if I read this right, like Egypt was a dude walking around because it said later on, it says later on in the Bible, uh, where we're just later on in these verses, I just saw it there and now I've totally lost it. Oh yeah. Um, Genesis 10 verses 13, Egypt fathered Ludum, Ananem, Lehebim, Nephutihim, Pathurism, Kaushuism, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphortim. Man, I mean, you know, Noah was like Abraham. He's like the father of nations here. All these guys are just having all these children. I mean, I, I think their lifespan was not as long, but they certainly did father a lot of children. Those children became nations. So I didn't realize, you know, um, you know, Jacob was renamed to Israel, and Israel was his name, which means overcomer. But Israel is also the name of a nation. And so there was somebody walking around on this planet named Egypt. And Mr. Egypt had children. And it seems that Egypt is also a nation. So that's Egypt's children or all those people that he fathered are somewhere in the genetic code of Egypt. And I do remember someone saying, you know, look at all these nations in the Bible. You never, you don't, uh, they're gone. They didn't serve God and they're totally gone. So a nation that does not serve God is evaporates, goes away from existence, um, eventually disappears and dissipates into history. All it is is left is, is a name, a history, and some bones somewhere. But it's interesting. It says in verse 8, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So, I mean, when they say Lord, were they talking about God? Like, he was a mighty hunter. I mean, did he get a reputation? Did, did, did pride go to his head? Because pride is a faith killer. When pride goes to your head, you turn into a devil. It's like, you don't need God anymore. You don't need to be meek. You're doing it. Because it seems to me that maybe he was, maybe he had great, um, abilities, sort of like Saul. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else, the first king of Israel. But pride went to his head. And at the end, he's just going to consulting the witch of Endor in 1 Samuel uh, 28, I believe. I was just reading that. So pride goes to his head. And this guy, this guy Nim, um, Nimrod, I, I, thought, I thought Nimrod was an insult. 
I thought I got called a Nimrod once, like a stupid person. You Nimrod, you know, you, you, you doofus. So, but, but this guy Nimrod sounds like a very capable man. In fact, he sounds like an even greater king than Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar practically owned the world. He owned Babylon. You know, he was the king of Babylon. But this guy here, I mean, it says, verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So he actually founded these kingdoms, Erech, Achad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. Okay, so he built Nineveh, is that part of Assyria? Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. Boy, you know, this is, I guess there are people in this world who know all these different geographic locations. And they could just eat this up. I mean, I kind of recognize some of the names that I'm really, you know, without a map in front of me, I can't remember all this stuff. But this is kind of, maybe, maybe the Bible is helping to pin where the peoples were. You know, if the ark came to rest in Arafat, which is like Turkey, they said that was in Turkey somewhere, you can kind of see, okay, where things are sort of spreading out from, where the, the population, you know, where did the population, the population was growing and spreading out, so where was the epicenter? Where, where was the epicenter where people were? And, I mean, this guy, this guy uh, Nimrod was obviously a very capable person. I don't want to compare Elon Musk to Nimrod, but it seems like Elon Musk said, how many companies does he have now? Tesla, Twitter, blah, blah. I mean, he's just like, you know, got all these different companies. I wonder, how does he have time to Twitter all this stuff? I'm not saying that um, Elon Musk is, is a Nimrod. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's an evil person. You know, he's got Twitter and everybody says that he's a very wonderful person because he's buying Twitter and he's kicking out all the liberals and uh, Twitter's going to be a haven for free speech and that's wonderful and it sounds really great and I really don't know. Maybe Elon Musk is a very nice man. I mean, he says he has Asperger's disease. He said that on Saturday Night Live, I think. And I had a friend who had Asperger's disease and my friend, he was a very humble person, but he could not focus on two or three tasks at the same time. I can't either. But if somebody tells me to do something, I'm in the middle of something else. I, I might remember what to do later on if I write it down and then I'll do my task and then I'll do the other task. I might remember, but my friend could not do that. He'd get very muddled up. You know, we'd go to coffee together. We'd talk. You know, he married somebody I knew, which was totally a wrong marriage for him. He was just a very simple, humble man. And the person he married, just they, she had too much problems, too much baggage, too complex. Just a lot of work for him, and it, it didn't work out. And I guess he disappeared from my life, but um, he was just a very wonderful person. But he had Asperger's. Uh, maybe Elon Musk doesn't have it to the degree that my friend had it, you know, because obviously Elon Musk has got a lot of marbles upstairs. Very capable businessman, very smart man, very innovative person, and very creative. But this, going back to Nimrod, he, he has so many things going on here. It's just craziness. And then verse 15, Canaan fathered said Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the, the Sinites. I mean, where did all these people go? And some of these people were obviously enemies of Israel. And they're all gone. They're just gone from history. You know, Israel's the, you know, kind of left. You know, the children of Israel are left. Verse 19, the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Ger, as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, 
Adma and Zebulun as far as Lasha. So some of these names of some of these cities and territories, I don't have a clue. But some of them, we have heard them before. Gaza, the Gaza Strip, Sodom and Gomorrah. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So the sons of Japheth and the sons of Ham, I mean, you know, they were people. And does, could God, does God know every single person? I mean, were these people important to him? Like, were they just like part of the dustbin of history so that God could just focus on the children of Israel? I just, I don't think so. I think that we serve a very loving God, a very personal God, a very individual God. And he knows every single person of all of these different nations by name. He knows everything about them. If we really believe that God created us all, even though we have genetic flaws and we have issues... Don't we believe that every single person in these nations, whether these nations were slated for destruction or not, don't we believe as Christians that God loves every single person and he's trying to get close to every single person in their hearts? And God knows what they know and knows what they're capable of. And God knows on which side of salvation he ultimately put them on. And I believe that. We, have, we serve a very fair and loving God and it's the devil who slanders God. The devil is the slanderer. The devil is, accuses God of the very things the devil does. The God, devil accuses God of hypocrisy and killing people and, and dismissing people and disrespecting people. And that's exactly what he does because the devil is a slanderer and a hypocrite. And it seems these nations as a whole are gone from history, slated for destruction. We're fighting against the children of God, against Israel. But I would like to think that there were some people in them, some individuals that God could get close to. Because Romans 1 says everyone has a conscience. Everybody. Whether the Holy Spirit is a blossoming of that conscience or the Holy Spirit is your conscience speaking to you, I really am not sure. I don't really know how it works under the hood. But every person was born with a conscience. Some people don't seem to have a conscience or it goes away or it gets seared um, like as if by a hot iron and they, they, they just keep doing bad things. You know, we, we are, we're sinners. Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do it. And the things I don't want to do, that I do. So there's a brokenness in, brokenness in us. But I would like to hope and believe that God values and cherishes every person that's ever born. And he's trying to initiate a relationship with every person that has ever walked the face of the earth. No matter what your intelligence level is, no matter where your surroundings are, and no matter what your what your um, what your emotional intelligence is, but that's my that's my personal opinion. Verse twenty one to Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Jephthah. So it says Shem, who is also I got to read this again. Verse twenty one to Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber. The elder brother of Japheth, children were born. So Shem was the um, elder brother of Japheth. Interesting. So he was the older brother. Children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpashad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Yuz, Hul, Gither, and Mash. Arpashad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. Now it says in verse 25, To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his day the earth was divided. 
That's interesting because I thought I said on an earlier podcast that um, I believe that, you know, maybe the continents got divided. If you look at Africa and South America, maybe it got divided uh, during the flood or maybe that happened. Maybe it was torn during the flood uh, because the fountains of the deep were open. But maybe maybe there were earthquakes. Maybe maybe the division process started happening. You know, I don't remember a lot, but I do remember taking grade nine geography and we had a really teacher. He loved geography. I mean, this guy lived geography. He was a little he was kind of a little weird, but he he really wanted to expound geography to us. And I remember that that was the class that I heard that North America, like North America, South America is going away from Africa. There is like some kind of fault line in the sea. And the rate of separation is 1.3 centimeters per year. I'm not making this up. I can still remember that exact number from grade nine. It was 1.3 centimeters per year that the that this this fault line is dividing, um, you know, these two great continental masses. Because I do remember now the word was tectonic plates. That class is where I discovered that the Earth is made of plates, and some of the plates grind against each other and they create earthquakes and rifts and that's why California has these problems because California has these two tectonic plates kind of like, you know, um, underneath California. So maybe, maybe there was a huge rupture. Maybe there was a huge division. Maybe there was a huge earthquake. Could have separated people. Could have killed a lot of people. It says in his days, in Peleg's days, the earth was divided. Peleg. Interesting. Then it goes through some other things here. Uh, different clans, different nations don't really know anything. Verse 29, Ofer. I don't know why. Ofer stands out to me, but I don't know why. I, I could try to read John MacArthur's notes here uh, in the ESV study Bible. Some of the notes are a little small. I did kind of skim through them. And I know there's something about Shinar. Um, I just saw Shinar in here mentioned as well. And I remember reading um, Shinar, something about Shinar, some, some kind of wickedness. I think it's in the Bible where it's, I don't know if it's Zechariah or Zephaniah. And there's a basket and the basket has some women in there and it's being lifted up by a stork. And it's something to do with wickedness in Shinar. But I can't quite remember. Maybe we'll get to it as we get closer to those chapters. So that's a little bit of a very um, layman's analysis of Genesis 10. It's interesting. The Bible has so much in there. And I think it really testifies that whoever wrote this, if it was Moses or if he got it in the library of Egypt, um, I could assume it's Moses, but there's a lot of detail here. And I think this detail is true. I don't think it's made up. I think maybe there could, you know, it says the Bible is totally has no mistakes in it. Um, I'm not exactly sure. You know, if you say one third of the angels, people say, well, it's not exactly one third. It could be a very big number. So if there's something wrong in here, maybe it's a translation error. But it seems to me that this is information about the history of the world. And I think the default of people is that, oh, it's just the Bible. It's not really a scientific doc, uh, document. It's supposed to be historical. I don't really like I don't really like that kind of narrative. I'm, I'm supposed to have faith in God. This book was written by men under the inspiration of God. And God inspires people. And God is a God of faithfulness and a faithful witness. And when people talk about 
I don't know how I got into this, but now we're talking about this historical record. Talk about the Red Sea and the Reed Sea. I'm not buying no Reed Sea. I never heard anything about any Reed Sea growing up. It was Red Sea, R-E-D, no silent E as Fred Flintstone would say. And I'm sticking with the Red Sea because that's what the scripture says. And I think that's non-negotiable. I think there are some things in the Bible that are non-negotiable. I totally believe it's six days plus, but I honestly can never really explain when my friends says, well, explain why it's 4.5 billion years old. I can't, I'll be honest. And we'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening. God bless you all.